This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What Came Next is intended for mature audiences only. Episodes discuss topics that can be triggering, such as emotional, physical, and sexual violence, animal abuse, suicide, and murder. I am not a therapist, nor am I a doctor. If you're in need of support, please visit somethingwaswrong.com forward slash resources for a list of nonprofit organizations that can help. Opinions expressed by my guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of myself or Broken Cycle Media. Resources and source material are linked in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening. As he shared in part one of his story, Kelly G is a former professional hockey player and coach and the current executive director of the nonprofit organization Survivors for Change. Kelly has always been driven to make an impact, but it wasn't until surviving sexual abuse at the hands of his former coach that he found his true calling, being an inspiration and motivator for survivors around the world. He hopes to utilize all that continues to come next for him in his journey for justice and peace to change present and future resources and support for all victims. The Broken Cycle Media team is immensely grateful for his time and all of the advocacy work that he continues to do. It took months for us to get through working through the story. After these months of that journey, the story comes out. I did try to go to my family when the story was actually released, which was a disaster, not because of them, because I full nervous breakdown. I was only able to really be there so they could protect me from myself for a few days. And then Mike Sack shows up with his golf clubs. Katie Strang from The Athletic, she saw the writing on the wall. So when the story came out, she was like, Mike, get to Denver and get there now. He did. Dropped everything he was doing, showed up. Those two kept that gun out of my mouth. And this is not to be dramatic or cinematic about suicide. It's not something that should be discussed with any level of lightness. It was very real for me. This journey is taking the pillowcases off the mirrors and really looking at myself for the first time and not just a faceless man staring back at me. I'm gonna have to work on forever. I'm at the first time in my entire adult life able to look at this and face it without shame. You keep speaking to this timeline of you're just getting to this. This is the hardest part in this wanting to make change journey. There's so much grief and that's huge that you're even doing these massive steps. I think it's a large portion of the journey and the journey does just ebb and flow. There's a lot of wisdom in what you said, how you related it to the timeline. Anybody that knows me, especially anybody listening to this, is probably laughing right now because they know how analytical I can be. It does help me compartmentalize things, but I'm not sure that I've really ever looked at it through the lens that you just gave me on that. I see it and I find pride in the fact that it's okay that it's just starting, but maybe it's not just starting. I hope you keep what you just said in the podcast for everybody. I'm finding this very important and really meaningful. There was a sense of 
betterment instantly in meeting Mike. We had a friendship that was forged instantaneously. It was like, holy cow, this guy gets me. He looked right through me. So positive things started happening instantly with that. We realized after talking to Katie Strang and she connected these survivors together that she had uncovered, we all realized right away that we got to build what we needed. Someone's got to do it. Because we realized right away how many of us there were and how many of us were struggling with the same issues, how many of us had this degenerative trauma response over the decades of their adult life that have just been torturing themselves because we didn't know what to do or we had nowhere to go. And it's not like people haven't tried, but the system didn't allow for it. So survivors for change, this was Mike's idea. He's like, I've met others. We're going through it in our own ways, but there's so many similarities. And he's just like, is there any way we could start a charity or like a nonprofit to find a way to mobilize this? And I was like, funny you mentioned that. I actually have some experience in starting things up. I was a professional hockey coach my whole adult life, but I was also an entrepreneur. Experience in startups, I've created patents business models. I've been involved with that kind of stuff. I love it. It's something I'm very passionate about. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Let's rock and roll. So we did. September 2020, we incorporated for the first time. I sat down and I started writing some of the basic functions and modeling. I spent a lot of time just listening to Mike and his story and his experience with Katie. We lose our family members over this. When you say casualties, that's not figurative. That's a real thing. This didn't kill us. You know how many people it has? That's a number we can't even count to. It's terrifying. Surviving these things is a real thing. But we're working on it and we're making some real progress. Since we started Survivors for Change, we realized we were way too close to this and too angry to really turn this into something that would be impactful and work. So we went out and we got a team as our strategist and our legal counsel to help get everything set up, build the model, understand how these things work and move us forward. With my story on top of the story that Katie published the year before that about Mike, Chris, and Brent, and with the work that she continued to do, discussing the institutional accountability and lack thereof, we got a lot of attention. And very much all of a sudden, started with The Athletic and Katie Strang. And then from there, CBS here in Chicago did an incredible investigative series on our story. They were like, we got to film this. We have to tell this story. It was something they were extremely passionate about. We said it nationally on TV. We are inundated with people coming forward. All walks of life, men, women, transgender. I had somebody that was 81 years old come forward to me, and first person he ever told anybody. 81 years old. I'll never forget it. People that had suffered with this their whole life that didn't even know that sharing it and being honest was available to them. So talking to each other, I see it. On a daily basis, when I meet new survivors, there's really some peace in knowing that I'm not alone in this. I find that to be one of the most beautiful and impactful parts of sharing with each other and sharing both the vulnerabilities and the uniqueness and the individualism of our story and who we are and how this happened. There's a lot of healing in that. Then also in finding each other and going, but you know what? I'm not broken. I'm not wrong. I'm not just a thing. What happened to me was just wrong. That's not my fault. And it's happened to other people too. I think that's really powerful. It helps me sleep at night. I can assure you that. Talking to Katie, she was so good. Even in my most vulnerable and hate-filled, painful spots, she still gave me a comfort 
and an understanding. Past the first phone call where I made my mind up without any evidence or any data that she was just coming to get me. There was never another moment and never has been since where I have felt anything but cared for. That was really important, but it was a completely different experience to the first time that we were on camera. When we started the documentary and started the filming, there hasn't been a single time where I've been on camera where I haven't been going, oh my God. You can really be in a place where you can be organic and honest with the realities that you're facing. But it was terrifying. Mike is great on camera, rock steady. My anxiety comes out like a starving, vicious dog that you're letting out of a kennel. It was very difficult. I mean, click any of those links, you will see me sweating. Here's something I'm going to tell people. Take it how you want to, but my advice to you is your story is important. And if that's important to you, let us know. We'll help you find a place to tell that story that's appropriate and safe. But it is very difficult to do it on that stage. Very, very difficult. It was terrifying. But here's what I've learned in a couple of years of doing it now. There's just so much love and support. All of those gremlins in your head, that's just the trauma. I mean, I definitely faced some trolls and stuff like that, especially when we let out with our name even. There were some insensitive people out there, like, oh, survivors, playing the victim card, that kind of stuff. I mean, we definitely got it. I've engaged with a couple of them too. Two or three of them I've actually had long conversations with. I've had a couple even come forward to me and tell me about what happened to them in their life, both of which gave me the opportunity to help set them up with a therapist and went to therapy. What a success. There's a real power in storytelling that needs to be expressed and utilized as part of the change that we're working so hard to create, but also as a healing measure for people that are experiencing this, whether they're experiencing it firsthand or secondhand, which is a really important thing that we got to talk about too, because every single person that this has happened to ever, there's so many other people that are victimized in the process. The grooming process is about getting to the victim. And in order to get to them, they go through parents, brothers and sisters, boyfriends and girlfriends. In our situation, other coaches, there's a wake of destruction. Through storytelling, this allows for us to also share that this didn't just happen to me. And this didn't just happen to the other victims. This happened to everybody in my life. Every one of them was taken advantage of and groomed. I hope that anybody listening to this that has been a party to this, be loving to yourself. This is very real. You deserve the love and the compassion. We're in this together. But again, I don't want to encourage everybody to go out to do it on that stage. There's other very healthy ways that I suggest that people share their stories. Start with people that have been there that will understand you that they're going to actively listen to you. So you have a rock and a safe place to go when it gets challenging because it will get challenging. Army of Survivors is another place. They're going to support you. There are people out here that are actively working on your behalf that want to give you what you need, period. How do we help you get it? It's my favorite thing about the space that I work in now. It's been many, many times where I've seen the release valve open up for people. Thank you, BetterHelp, for sponsoring this episode. In my opinion, New Year's resolutions are so last year. I prefer reflection and learning from the previous 12 months than starting a new year by focusing on where I've gone wrong. And what better place to learn about myself and reflect on what's truly working than in therapy? From my own experience in therapy, I know it can help us find our strengths 
and foster growth that really sticks so we can ditch the extreme resolutions. Therapy has also helped me learn to establish healthy boundaries and sounder, more balanced relationships. If you've considered therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, created to be flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com WCN today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash W-C-N. One of the professionals that we work with with our curriculum development, he's just a wonderful person, deeply embedded in hockey. She's known me since I was young. Certainly when I still had my very close relationship with Chico and she knew him very well and they were friends. When she found out that this happened to me, you could just see her heartbreak. And then to understand like, it's happened to you too. Like he pulled the rug over everybody's eyes. That's not your fault. He's an expert. He's a master of this. If you spend enough time doing anything repetitively, you will get good. And he's been doing this repetitively for 40 years. Can you imagine the pain and the guilt that you feel for something like that? And it's like, no, 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 no. I love you. You can let that go. Let's work together on change. And what does she do? She shows up every single time. And it's helping us foster and cultivate and create this change. What happens next will be better than it ever would have been. And that's something that just fills me with inspiration and motivation. So many other people are marching right alongside of us in this movement. That's a really critical thing that I'm glad that we got to talk about. And I hope that that's meaningful for listeners that have been in those shoes because we're right here with you. We support you and back you and love you keep moving forward towards the next best day. That was very apparent. We had to move forward and create this space where people can come and they can share their stories and connect with other people that understand what they've been through better than anybody. The peer engagement aspect of our organization has been very, very successful and very powerful and set the stage for the difficult work that we're doing now in creating curriculum and education and training programs that aren't just about a narrow scope of sexual abuse, sexual health, just for men or just for women, but a real holistic approach. Post-article with Katie coming together with our survivor group, we did take legal steps, a process that's still underway. We brought ours to a federal judge that dismissed us based on jurisdiction and statute of limitation. Meanwhile, our abusers sitting on the beach, and I lost everything. There should be a response from these organizations. There should be support. I should be able to afford my therapy. Our organization should have the funding it needs to create these systems without so much pushback and so much suffering and so much attrition that's involved with it. Why are we allowing for things that we know happened, violations that we know were committed? We're allowing these people and these institutions to keep sailing their boat through the sunset of life. To this day, holding and finding accountability for that, we know it's not impossible, but it hasn't been available to us yet because of the laws that are set. Statute of limitations issues especially are the major deterrent. Where does this really come from? When we look at it, it's predatory situations arrive from failures and oversights in how these environments are structured and managed. We're giving our kids over to people who have absolute access to them. 
understand all of their weaknesses, all of their strengths. And it's also a feeding ground for the ones like Chico. And we're starting to see with the media rush, with the amazing work that the Army of Survivors have done and the survivors of Larry Nasser, the advocacy of people just kicking doors open and being like, they're everywhere. Here's the other thing. The process of prevention doesn't start with background checks. They help. They're important. But we have to start with what's under our own roof. The thing that's important to understand is most predators are created. They evolve out of these environments. And one of the major responsibilities that these institutions have to understand is we can't assume that everybody's in this for the best intentions, or even if they are, that those intentions won't change over time. There's not enough training. There's not enough accountability measures put into place. There's not enough oversight in place. If you just let people run amok and just assume that they're going to do the right thing for the right reason, we're starting to allow these environments to create monstrous situations and dangerous situations. Predator isn't the appropriate take for him. He is a serial predator. This is a calculated, long thought out, long unfolding, very maniacal process that me and so many others had gone through. It's something that we need to be very aware of, especially when we're looking at the things that are happening around us. And then systemically, why are these laws not survivor-based? I'm convinced that it's not built to work. That's a strong opinion. But we see that over and over and over again on various levels and situations, certainly when it comes to sexual abuse, sexual violence, institutional level accountability. One of the key points that I think is just so important to understand is while these types of positions and roles do draw certain people towards them because of that access and power, they more often create these monsters as opposed to draw them in. It's the position of power in that environment of itself that brings out and nurtures this ability and capacity within people. That's such an important distinction because that actually leaves much greater room for people to understand how this happens so often. Especially when you start looking on the serial side, like the predator that I fell into, I think he was more of a product of a system and that gave him the ability to nurture and bring out that part of himself. And he was able to get away with it. That's why some of our solutions are so critical. This isn't an issue that people haven't been trying to fix either. There's been real work that has gone into this. I just think we've been hunting for the wrong thing. We've been out looking for the monsters and trying to stop them before they get in, but they're already in because they're created within. More often than not, they're created inside the walls of the institution. It's tough. It's not just difficult to speak to. It's difficult to listen to. It's also not a subject that people want to engage with. But we also have a responsibility to find ways to make this effective. So when we look at this and we trace things backwards and we realize that this shoreline is toxic, do we treat the shoreline or do we follow that and trace it backwards back to the poison well? The reactionary approach is treat the beach. Hit that shoreline, clean it up. We'll fix it again when it comes back around next time. This isn't working. We got to put the time, the resource to build the systems in place at the grassroots level, all the way back at that poisoned well. If we want to prevent these things happening, because we have to create the environment where they're not allowed to develop. And then we have to have the reporting and accountability measures in place. If we don't constantly adapt and evolve, those cracks are going to reopen. When we stroll down our shoreline and we find out where this toxicity is coming from, it all is very much centered around that we're not fostering healthy and safe relationships. 
we're not doing a good enough job training people about what a relationship is and what their role is with that relationship that they're coexisting in and participating in. These are not suggested boundaries. This is a line. And if you cross it, there will be accountability that will be had. If you're working with kids and their families and they matter to you and you know what your job is there and what your responsibilities are, those lines aren't going to get crossed very often. But when they do, here's a system and a process that's going to be put into effect. And here's how it's going to affect your life moving forward. We have to deter this type of behavior and these bad actors. That standard has been conceptually talked about and assumed for far too long. It's time to actually put it to work. And that's what we've really evolved to as an organization. Our lifeblood is our survivor community. That is our forward first platform that we offer. But with our systems that we're building, it's relationship focus, it's grassroot focus. It's about healthy relationship. It's about learning what inclusivity really is. One of the things that we do actively, and I do actively in my role with Survivors for Change, is identifying the consistencies and the patterns in the grooming process. What are those habits? What are those processes and systems? Because they're algorithmic almost. My story, is it unique? Yes, it is. Every story that I've heard, they're all unique. Every single person's story is unique. What makes mine unique, I think, is so much of the environment and the setting of how it came about really exacerbates it. I was low-hanging fruit, and his system worked for me easily. I think we lose some of the individuality in our stories because we start talking about them, all completely unique situations, families, individuals, demographics, socioeconomics, races, religions, all the various aspects that should lead to this really individual situation where everyone is unique. But when you zoom out, you realize how much the same it is also. When you just look at the algorithm that's used to achieve the result that's desired. So it's complicated. There's a dichotomy to understanding what this sickness is. Until very, very recently, it was not even conceptually possible that this happens. Thank God that there were so many brave men during a time where it was completely taboo and unaccepted that did try to come forward and say this actually happens. They're in their 50s, their 60s and people aren't listening to them. We are actually training people to be better people. If we start putting our kids first as people first and not as talent, a lot of these situations are going to go away. This is an effective form of prevention. It just takes the community to come together and buy into it. Anytime you create change, it's hard to broaden the approach. It takes a lot of resource, it takes a lot of time as we approach all the different mechanics and moving parts in the systems that need repair and rebuilding. But that's also one of the beautiful things about having a nonprofit and doing the work from this standpoint, because it really emphasizes the power of partnership. It's going to take us all. It's going to take Survivors for Change, the Army of Survivors. It's going to take Child USA, all these different organizations and parties to really mobilize together and share in what we do best with the other people and the other communities so we can support each other and back such a massive movement. I've seen that be so successful already. For instance, I've been fortunate and honored to participate in some lobbying directly through Washington, D.C. with the Army of Survivors and the incredible work that they're doing, reforming bills that will bring more accountability to organizations that have a responsibility to safeguard and protect their members, the athletes, the coaches, the parents. 
bringing the issues with statute of limitation primarily to the forefront and just saying, look, this isn't how it works. It takes people decades before they come forward with stuff. These statute of limitations are not survivor friendly. They're anti-survivor. These are measures that need to be changed. Survivors deserve the opportunity to heal their way and express what happened to them in their own time. The relative factor of time isn't legislation's responsibility to tell us when that's okay and when that's not okay to do. It's time to say it. Here is what's happening. Here's why it's failing. It's not working. It's time for this change. It's going to take time and effort and support. There's not nearly enough funding resources in general to do the work. This work has to be done. This is a profession also. Being good people trying to do a good thing and make change doesn't keep lights on. And we need backing from our representatives on a governmental level in order to create the change that's pro-survivor resource for it. We need sources of support for people that are inside that process so it doesn't re-traumatize them and break them again. Whatever state you're in, whatever district you're in, go talk to your congressperson. Drop our name with them and say, hey, why doesn't our state have this? We need you to push this. Demand it. These are elected officials. They will listen to you. But it's going to take an effort from the community. And that's one of the ways that you can support. The other way is come to us, support us, follow us, share us, help us be more visible donate. Talk to me about resources or things that you've tapped into that have really helped. I know everybody is different, but I love to equip people with tools because you never know what's going to work for you. Absolutely. Stubbornness and perseverance was where this started with getting me through a lot of the heavy stuff. I wish I would have understood that therapy was okay sooner. Actually, an ex-girlfriend helped me get into therapy when I was going through my process with Katie. I was really struggling. She was like, you need therapy. And I was like, I think I do. Will you help me? And she did. That was three years ago. Getting into therapy was life-changing for me and for so many others. And that's something we're a major proponent of. Destigmatizing therapy is something that we have to continue to actively work on. Therapy is Home Depot for feeling better. You can find any tool you need there. But having somebody to help you through that process can be challenging. Picking up the phone to make your first appointment for therapy is damn near impossible. If and when they do, give yourself a win for allowing that. I had to dig around a little bit to find the right person. When I found him, he was just what I needed. He's stoic and strong and smart and was straight with me. He knew how important it was that I just needed somebody that was also going to be like, hey, man, check yourself on this. Give me some simple tasks that I could take back and start learning how to give myself wins again. Really, the first lesson in therapy that really was a breakthrough for me was learning how to give myself a win again, as opposed to just being on this cycle of only focusing on failures. Talk therapy was really good for me. EMDR is really powerful. I very much recommend people look into. Don't be discouraged if you try something and it doesn't work. You will feel something good, especially early on. But when you start tapping into the tough stuff, it's going to hurt, but it gets better It's a process. And when you buy into it and you give yourself to that process, you wake up one day and you're like, holy cow, I slept through the night and I'm not covered in sweat. I can't wait to go walk my dog and have some coffee. You think that the destigmatizing what therapy is and how it can be used is really important. It's a tool and a resource that I expect with the shifts socially, we're going to see more and more people really thrive with it. But it's not the end all be all. For me, another thing, hot yoga. I like the flow and meditation aspects. That's always part of the practice. 
that was really, really healthy for me. It's very peaceful. I always recommend people if they're willing or if they're close enough for me to scoop them and take them, I'll do it. You got to try it once. There's any number of things that we can do. Find somebody that understands you that can help you narrow that list down. So you're not just swimming in a sea of options. There's lots of different ways that we can interface with our own journey and progression where it all starts is finding somebody that you can discuss your path with and where you're at that can help support you with your next move. There's so many different forms of trauma, but once it gets into your brain, those effects are difficult to live with, manage, and they take their toll. So finding a place, especially a safe place, a friend that would be open and willing to hear you say, I'm hurting, or I need help, or this happened to me. Starting with somebody that will listen to you and understanding you is really the first step in the process. And it's scary. If you're not comfortable with going to your family and friends, that's totally understandable. I didn't. Share with us. Give us an opportunity to listen and hear you and be there with you. Through cultivating those kind of relationships and those conversations, you start to discover your path of where you need to go with your healing. Because nobody knows you better than you. But it all starts with a conversation. So take your time, be patient with yourself, but also be motivated to feel better. We have that power. I'm thankful that I got so many of my years back that I would have spent either under the ground or suffering in silence. Thank you for your constant perspective. It's really a gift. Where can people find Survivors for Change online? Facebook and Instagram, respectively, is at WeRS4C and the S4C. Visit us at our website, www.survivorsforchange.org. You can sign up to get more information and be on an email list. We don't send out a ton. And a lot of those updates will give you opportunities to do things like speaking events and share stories. And we're also in the middle of creating our comprehensive curriculum. There's a lot of opportunities for coaches and parents and players and administrators to share their experiences, their grievances what they see is working, what's not. And they can do that through focus groups. They can do that through one-on-one interviews. They can do that through surveys. And that really gives you an opportunity to be a part of what we're creating, to actually have your hands on it and say, I helped build this. We're not building this with the intention of saying, okay, here's your solution. Now just accept it. We're building it together. We're listening to what you say. So what a cool opportunity to get involved and really have a powerful position and just making our world in general, but certainly our amazing world of sports safer and healthier. The only thing that healthier relationships and relationship development training is gonna do is make things better. There's almost no way to mess that up with a proper research-based curriculum. Please join us there and help us keep moving this forward because it is working. I just appreciate you sharing everything. It helped me involve my own personal scope on my own life. Thank you. You're welcome. That's the hope and the dream. My hope for this is that even if it reaches one person, that's successful. We just appreciate the opportunity. Please thank your listeners for me for sharing their time like this. It's really meaningful. Thank you so much for listening. Resources and help are available 24 hours a day at the National Sexual Assault Hotline, which can be reached at 1-800-656-4673, and the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. 
For more information and statistics on abuse in athletics, please listen to What Came Next, Episode 22, John Michael Lander, An Athlete's Silence. You are not alone. Thank you again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. If you've been considering therapy, visit betterhelp.com WCN to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash WCN. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Next week on What Came Next. In 2011, LA Weekly made me one of the people of the year. Their words, not mine. LA's hottest it girl. That actually is what got the attention of my stalker. Because my stalker stalks so many celebrities, it was in the media whether I wanted it to be or not. They would go through the court filings, and so they would see the names like Kim Kardashian and Gwyneth Paltrow, Ivanka Trump. So my case was reported on without my consent anyway. It was always going to be a media story. And once I sort of realized that I was like, okay, I've worked in entertainment my whole life. I'm poised for this. I can be a voice for people. What Came Next is a Broken Cycle Media production co-produced by Amy B. Chesler and Tiffany Reese. If you'd like to help support What Came Next, you can leave us a positive review, support our sponsors, or follow Broken Cycle Media on Instagram at Broken Cycle Media. Check out the episode notes for sources, resources, and to follow our guests. Thank you again for listening.